0: Jesus put forth before us this proclamation that we see on the, on the screen, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What does that mean? Well, it means it's not second. <laughs> it means it's number one, that everything that you do, everything that you say, every decision that you make, As you evaluate your budgets, as you evaluate your relationships, as you evaluate where you're going to go work, where you're going to go to school, what you're going to do when you get up in the morning, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It means simply what it says, that that ought to be our number one priority and upon which foundation we build our lives. And so as a congregation, we have undergone this month a, a study about the kingdom of God and putting it first and, and making sure that we uh, are looking for a church that. And so I want to briefly review uh, what those are. The first one we kicked off with this month, Brother Ty led that, um, that discussion, and that is seeking truth. We want to be a part of a congregation that seeks truth and that their effort is in recognizing the Word of God, its authority in our life. And so we we use as a a primary text for this uh, overview, 1 Timothy 3 and 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You see, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The question for us is, as a congregation, are we going to adhere to what the pillar and ground of the truth establishes for us? Are we going to follow its pattern? Are we going to follow its teachings? Are we going to identify truth and what applies to us? And then we're going to live that in our life. We're looking for a church that's evangelistic. Brother Timothy led that discussion. And here's a couple of verses that talk about that Now, I do want to say with the caveat, as I speak today and present what my topic is, that it will be incomplete if you do not tie all of these four together. You must go, because I do not have time to go in every nuisance, nu, uh, nuance uh, of what Timothy covered or what Ty covered or what Brother Scott covered last week. So you're going to have to take those, and I, I know some are here today and they haven't heard all three of those and what I'll encourage you to do is to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe if you're not and then watch them and watch them in order and pay careful attention to the things that are shared because some of what I share with you today will be incomplete without what they have prepared for me as I speak. So evangelistic we've got the great commission that we're we have been given to us we find it in Mark we find it in Matthew and the, Matthew 16 and verse 15 focusing on preach the gospel. The gospel was, has been talked about even in the old law. Abraham talked about the gospel. To him it was the good news. He knew something was coming that was going to be different. And even Christ as he began to preach the gospel and talked about it, it was from the sense that it is good news that the Messiah has come. But until Peter presented the gospel and in the, the full effect of that, the death, burial, and resurrection and the likeness of which we obey that today is when the gospel was presented in its totality. Jesus told his disciples what it, what it was. He told them that I am going to die and I'm going to be buried and I'm going to re- be resurrected. That was the gospel. And you and I obey a form of that today. Also presented in that great commission is the idea of teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He also told them that He was going to send to them the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth. The Holy Spirit would cause them to remember the things that He told them. And as we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the eyewitness testimonies of those that lived with Christ, not every word of Christ is recorded there. It's not. It would be, if you put all of it together, it's really a small amount of information. But as we get into Acts and Romans and so forth, throughout the the New Testament, we have the apostles being reminded by the Holy Spirit and them them writing it down for us today what those things are that we're to teach everybody. And the idea here is discipling them. Then last week, Brother Scott led this discussion on having a church that's alive. And he talked about the fact that that a, a body that's alive has a heartbeat and it has a pulse to it and it has breath to it and it has a brain to it and the brain feeds the body and gives direction to the body. Without the head, the body is, is dead and so forth. And so we talked about that And two of the verses that I want to pull from that that, that I see as kind of the core verses of his lesson. Revelation uh, 3 and 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. You see, it's not enough to look like you're alive. It's not enough to have the appearance that you're alive because you can have the appearance of being alive, but be dead. And so it's important for us that we identify the characteristics that the Bible tells us that a church is alive. The church is alive. The question to us As a congregation, are we going to be alive? Are we going to look at scriptures and we're going to apply the things that we learn from that to demonstrate the life that we have in Jesus Christ? And so we find in Acts 2 and 42, and they continued steadfastly. And Brother Scott uh, went into a word study of steadfastly there and, and identified it as dutifully firm and unwavering manner in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread, and in prayers. So, one of the ways to identify if a church, uh, to identify the church that you want to be a part of, and that we want to be, that we want College Park to be, is to look at the New Testament church. And if we are saying the things that they said, if we're doing the things that they are doing, we're going to display the characteristics of being alive. We're going to follow the apostles' doctrines. We're going to participate in fellowship and interact with our environment. In the breaking of bread and in prayers, we're going to do those things. And so people will be able to identify that this congregation is alive based on their comparison to what we do to what they see the New Testament church doing. And so that brings us to today and a couple of ways that we can look at today. And these couple of verses are core and central to what I want to share, although I'm going to to go more so with the second verse than the first verse. Uh, is equipping the saints. In Ephesians 6 and 13 says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day in having done all to stand. So part of equipping the saints is providing them with the tools that have been provided to us. Or utilizing, is probably a better way of saying it, utilizing the tools that have been given to us, that scriptures give us. And if we take those tools and we apply those tools then we'll be able to stand or withstand the evil days. And having done, we'll be able to stand. The helmet of salvation is one of those in this armor, if you back up a little bit. And the the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith. And the very first one that it names. so I got things out of order there, but the very first one says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Isn't that Interesting. You have all these major body parts being covered by these other items, but yet our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. Why? The gospel is the core principle of the church. And the feet are a demonstration of what takes us somewhere. And so as we move through this life and as we have friendships and relationships, as we raise our families, as we have associations in the workplace, all of those sorts of things, our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel. What we say, what we do, how we act, uh, the relationships we have, the movies we go to, all of those sorts of things should reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life. And so we are transporting it from place to place. And I think that's why the Holy Spirit chose that illustration of putting the gospel on our feet, because that's how we move, and that's how we live. And so then the second part, and, and that we have been doing since the very first lesson in uh, Seeking Truth. We've been equipping the saints. We've been identifying the tools and the, the mechanisms and the process that will help us to be successful in life, in the true sermon, in the evangelistic sermon, and being alive. We've seen those things. And if we will go back and and view those and study those and begin making application in our life, we will see that we will begin equipping ourselves. We'll be putting on the tools that God has given us to be successful in our life, in our marriage, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our parenting, and all of those sorts of things will be successful because we will apply the Word of God. Now, 1 Timothy four sixteen, we begin to get into the, the area that I want to address this morning. And if you want to break it down this way, 6 and 13 is talking about the academic parts. It's identifying those things, the tools, etc. And we've been identifying all the different things that we need to consider when we are cho- choosing a church home with the congregation that we're going to go to, needs to have those things in order for you to be successful spiritually and uh, in every other way, really. 1 Timothy four sixteen. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine and continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. We begin to get now into the nitty-gritty. We now get into the... Uh, the expression of all those things we've learned, the application of those things we've learned. We have been studying about the different aspects of being equipped, the truth and so forth. And now we're beginning to put those things on, but then what are we going to do? We're going to go to battle. We're going to get out into the muck and mire of this world, and we're going to begin applying those things that we we have learned because... You'll save yourself and them that will hear you. And so your life in the muck and mire of this world should be a shining light. It should be an example of an overcomer. It should reflect Jesus Christ in your life through the challenges, and there are many. We're not immune as Christians to the difficulties and the challenges of this this life. We're mistreated and we are persecuted and we are tripped up. And Satan's deceptive and we fall at some of his temptations and all of those things. But through all of those things, people are watching how we respond and react. I don't think anyone expects anyone to be perfect and never make a mistake. But what they are interested in is how do you respond from that? How do you, how do you recover from that failing and from that difficulty or how do you go through those challenges that might make other people fall apart but it doesn't make you fall apart because you're walking in the will of God that's why I appreciate the prayer that Brother Ty led on on my behalf as I spoke that the power of God's word is not in me and it's not it's in His word His word is what will change your life and it's his word that will get you through those difficulties and challenges at a, better, at a better clip than what you would have without. So this is what I want to cover. And I know it looks like a lot. And we're going to move as quickly as we can through this because all I'm going to do is lay out the framework. And I'm going to re- leave everything else to Mario for this afternoon as he talks about application of the things that we're going to talk about. So I'm going to set the table, if you will, uh, on these things. So if we're equipping the saints, what are we equipping them for? We're equipping them to fulfill the mission of the church. And so then we're going to talk about what tool is that that we have that allows us to, to complete that mission. Then we're going to get into the discipleship. And this is that, this is the muck and the mire. This is the, this is the real life. This is where the, the, the rubber meets the road or any of those other cliches that, that we can think of. Because it's, this is where real life happens. It's theory if we don't take it and apply it and then demonstrate it in our life it's just theory theoretical stuff stuff that we might intellectually know but we don't understand because we don't apply it and test it and guess what happens when you apply and you test it you're going to see God's word successful and that's going to give you more strength and more determination to live a better life and so forth and you will grow in his will so What is the mission? The mission is to seek and save that which was lost. That's what Jesus, that was his mission. He came to seek and save the lost. We were lost, all of us, in our sin. There's not a one here that has lived a life totally pleasing to God. You just haven't done it. I haven't done it. Nowhere near it. And so Jesus needed to come and to die for us to save us. And so his mission was to seek and save the lost. Then guess what? The mission of the church is to seek and save the lost. Hebrews 6 and 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. These two things have been our mission at College Park since the very first day that we began. It was to seek and save the lost and provide a place of refuge. And these are the verses that give us that reason to have that as our mission. Have we been perfect at it? Have we always done the right things in every aspect of it? No, we haven't. We have failed. We're learning. We're disciples. We're, we're trying to apply and to learn and grow and strengthen ourselves in that. But we need to have a place. You need to have a place that you can find refuge in. Notice the words there I think are so wonderful. A strong consolation. You know what it means to console somebody, right? Right? And I picture a five-year-old Jerry crawling up in my mama's lap because my feelings had been hurt or I had been hurt. And I just curl up in her lap and she holds me and she pats me and she kisses my, my forehead and she tells me it's going to be all right. And within just a little while, the tears are gone and I'm back down on the ground and I'm back at it again. We need a place where we can come and be embraced and be held if that's what we need. We need to have our tears wiped. We need to have our chins lifted. And we need to console one another. Therefore, we need a place that we can flee to for refuge. And that's the church. If not the church, where? Where can you go and be consoled and be be, uh, comforted because of the challenges and the difficulties of this life? I would never want to be part of a congregation that did not see it as part of its mission of providing a refuge now again do we get this right all of the time I wish we did I wish we did and so we need to work at it we need to be better at it we need to first recognize that it is part of the mission we've been given and then live after it all right so now what tool do we have? Well, we've talked about it in the truth and the evangelistic and being alive, but 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, that the scriptures have been given to us. They are inspired and they're profitable, meaning they have a benefit in our doctrine. That's, what we, that's the do's and the don'ts for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. So the scripture is there for us, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We have everything we need. There is no new revelation. There is no new gift of the, of the Holy Spirit that's going to reveal some new item of, of, uh, of God's will that, that you haven't heard before. Because it's all been given to us in His Holy Word. And the Holy Spirit will work through His Word to make the changes in your life, in my life, in our life, and in every way. According as His divine, Second Peter 1, 3 and 4, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Get that. Has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The answers you are seeking are in God's Word. The weakness is on our part. It's not in God's Word. God's Word is sufficient in every way for every problem. The weakness is ours. We don't study enough. We don't pray enough. We don't... Meditate enough on God's word to begin applying the principles to it. And there's consequences to that. And we feel those consequences. And then we start thinking God's word doesn't work. It does work. We don't work. The weakness is on our side, not God's side. That by these, by what? These great and precious promises that have been given to us, that we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. Isn't that? Just an awesome thought and idea that we can be partakers of the divine nature. Let me just give you a small small example of that. A cup of cold water in his name. right? If we receive a small child. When we do those acts of goodness, we are participating in the divine nature. So anytime we obey what God has said, the result of it is, that we are participating in His d- divine nature. We were, after all, created in the image of God. And so there is that part of us that is spiritual, that is eternal. The application of it is our responsibility. The control of it is our responsibility. And so we want to apply those things and stand on God's Word. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth out forth out of my mouth... It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. You want to be a better husband? The Word of God tells you how to be a better husband. You want to be a better wife? The Word of God tells you how to be a better wife. God's Word will not return to him void. He's not going to tell you A, B, C, D on how to be a husband and that it doesn't work. I promise you, if you do A, B, C, D, you'll be a better husband. And wives, if they'll do A, B, C, and D, that the Scriptures tell them to be and to do, they'll be a better wife. And then guess what? You'll have a better marriage. <laughs> and guess what? You'll have a better family. Guess what? We'll have a better congregation. Guess what? We will impact the community for the cause of Christ. That's how it works. But we got to believe it. we got to believe that the Word of God will accomplish what He says it will. So if a congregation or a church isn't presenting the truth and standing on God's Word, it will fail. And we don't want to fail here. And so all of us need to work very diligently in accountability and in our preparation that we preach from our pulpits truth and that we stand on the sufficiency of God's Word and that we practice it in our worship, that we practice it in our community outreach, that we practice it in our individual lives, and that we practice it as a family, and we practice it as a congregation. We got to do that because it will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he sent it out to do. Discipleship. First, just a, a brief idea on discipleship because we're, we're going to get into the muck and the mire a little bit on this. Uh, what does it mean? We talk about equipping the saints. We're, we're really talking about discipleship. It's, it's providing the tools, but then it's also how to use them and, and, and how to demonstrate them in your life on a day-to-day basis. And so all of us are both. We are a disciple, which means we're a learner, and we're also a teacher. All of us are. All of us on a continuum of spiritual maturity are at different points. But yet there's always someone that we are looking to for leadership and for learning and for an example. And there are those then that are looking to be that. And so we're both. An elder in the church is still a disciple. He hasn't learned everything he needs to learn. He's not accomplished some great level of spiritual maturity that, that he should now then say, I've kind of got there. Well, we ain't got there. We haven't. We're still disciples. And I'll just just to give you an example of that. I'm a disciple of many of you in different, different ways and different uh, times because I'm learning from you. I see you exemplify the character of Christ in your life that encourages me, that reminds me of what I need to do, and then I begin doing it. Am I not a disciple in that case? Are you not a disciple when you're looking to someone else to to be an example for you and to lead you in the way of God? So first, we want to talk about fully embracing your role. Now, there's all kinds of roles. You're a wife, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a mother, you're a child, uh, you're an employer, you're an employee, you're a supervisor you're a laborer whatever though there are all kinds of roles and what I want to say in a nutshell is embrace them fully wherever you are embrace that role what I want to talk about are three roles in the in the church that we want to spend a moment or two on the elders have a responsibility they've been given spiritual oversight to a congregation that has chosen them to fulfill those duties and and what I would say to our elders or to any elder in any congregation is fully embrace that role. Take the responsibility seriously and feed the flock. Take the oversight. Be Do it willingly. Don't do it for money's sake and, and for any other power or authority that you might have over somebody else. Of a ready mind, uh, being an example uh, to the flock. These are a critical role in a congregation are the elderships, who are also referred to in scriptures as pastors or shepherds or overseers, presbyters, and so forth. It's all speaking about the same duty and the same role. And so the elders need to embrace that. And a congregation needs to encourage them to embrace that and reinforce them embracing that. And if they're not embracing that, cry out, call out, go talk to them about embracing that role. In the, in the congregation Deacons First Timothy 3.13 For they have used the office of a deacon well Purchased to themselves a good degree And great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus the Deacons are the servants of the congregation And they've been given a responsibility By the congregation To oversee the physical aspects Of, of the church and to the ministries And the benevolent efforts and those sorts of things Under the oversight of the elders It's a serious responsibility. And so to deacons of this congregation and to any other congregation, your role is critical. It's important. You need to fully embrace it. And congregation, you need to hold the deacons accountable for fully embracing it, which means you give them latitude to embrace it, which means when they call on you to ask you to do something, you submit to that and you jump on board and you do the things that you need to to do. Obviously, I don't even think it needs to be stated, so why am I stating it? I don't know. But... If they were to ask you to do something unscriptural or sinful, of course you would refuse to do that. But they don't. Acts 6 and verse 3 and 7, when the uh, church was first begun and they began to grow and there began to be some organization needed, the apostles uh, set forth what we read here. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves among you seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom who we may appoint over this business and this business was ensuring that the widows were being appropriately taken care of uh, with with the church and that one widow wasn't receiving too much and another widow not receiving any and what I want us to notice is that when we organize the way that the church the way that God instructs us to organize when we do that His word will not come back void. It will accomplish what he said it to do. Notice what happens. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. When we do things God's way, we reap the benefits of it. The word of God will increase so more people will know it. It will reach more people, more opportunities for conversions... And the disciples multiplying and those that were already members were strengthened because they gained more knowledge. Saints, that's everybody. Uh, Elders, deacons, members of a congregation, members of the body of Christ are saints. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brethren, if a a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted... Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So every one of us needs to embrace that role that we have. Now how are we spiritual? Well, we're going to spend time in God's word. I already said that all of us on a continuum of our spiritual maturity are at different levels but we need to take wherever we are in that and and fully embrace our role, fully, fully embrace the opportunity that we have to disciple one another and to work with one another so that we can benefit the kingdom of Christ. Credibility. Your credibility, the ability for someone to trust you, have confidence in you, be able to depend on you is directly proportional to the amount of the Word of God you have incorporated into your life. And again, we're all on this continuum. But credibility, holding one another accountable in this discipleship that we're talking about, in this area of the muck and the mire, because it's not easy to do this. Now, we're not talking about being rude to people. We're not talking about being harsh or angry. And in fact, if you go to one of the earlier lessons, you will will see that these things are to be done in love. We're to speak the truth in love. And so credibility is important. If you're not credible, you can't disciple someone. And every one of us is a disciple. And every one of us is in a position of influencing someone else. And you've got to have credibility to do that in various areas uh, of life. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He's a babe, so in that continuum of spiritual maturity, some of us are babes. Uh, But strong meat belongs to them that are full age. Full age is not a chronological thing. Uh, Suddenly you hit 60 and you're a full age. That, That may be so in... The body, but not in the spirit. What we're talking about full age here is people that have spent time in God's Word and they have exercised. Notice, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And that's going to be proportional to how much time you spend in God's Word. And so you want to be a part of a congregation that is discipling one another, that is holding one another accountable, that has credibility about them, In their life, they're not expected to be perfect. Nobody expects anyone to be perfect. But they do expect you to be credible. And part of being a credible person is when you fail, you repent, you apologize, you make things right, and you get back. And it may take a little while to re-earn some of that trust, but you'll get there if you keep doing what's right. Thou, therefore, that teaches another, teach not thou not thyself. Thou that preaches a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that says a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhors idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? I think the teaching is pretty plain there. Hypocrisy destroys credibility. We're not talking about making a mistake in this case, we're talking about living and accepting a a shortcoming in your own life, a sinful activity, and yet telling other people how they ought to live. If you have an addiction to one thing or another and you go to someone and say, hey, you need to quit drinking, and they they know about your own life that maybe you're addicted to pornography. Well, you have no credibility. No credibility to do that. And we've got to have that because we need it in holding one another accountable as a as a body of Christ. We're talking about getting to the individual level of applying these principles that we have learned about in Scripture. To instill a sense of personal value, sin, sinful patterns, addictions are oftentimes a result of a poor self image. We don't think very much of ourselves. We feel like we're doomed to failure. We've, we don't see any real intrinsic value in ourselves, And so it's important for us who understand what Christ did for us to understand that we are of high value. And we don't mean that in an arrogant way. And we should never be, you know, better than thou kind of attitude about stuff. But the fact remains that God sent his son to die for you. What greater value could he have spent on you? We talk about something of value is based on how much does it cost or how much sacrifice did it require to get it. Well, is there any greater sacrifice than the Son, God the Son, leaving heaven and coming to earth and being spit on and being abused and mocked and ridiculed and, and beaten and nailed to a cross? high cost, high sacrifice. Words are I- I- inadequate to describe the value that God places on your soul. So how could I do it any more than that? I can't. But I don't have to because God did. And so it's important for us to see a high value for ourselves. Because if, I, if that great a price was paid for me, then I'm going to break that pornography addiction. If, that, if I see the real value that was paid for me, I'm going to quit doing this sin or that sin. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop it at least in a way of it being a pattern or a consistent area in my life. I may stumble now and then, but I'm going to repent and I'm going to get up because I'm going to remember the price that was paid for me the scourging that my Savior took to pay for my sin. Just a couple of other verses that I think are, they're they're some of my favorite that speak to this. Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God wants the very best for you. And He wants you to go through this life with an expected end. And if we apply the principles that He has given us, we, we will get that expected end, which is eternity with Him. Jeremiah 31, 3, the second part of that says, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. I hope you feel the love that God has for you. He says here, With loving kindness have I drawn you. Jesus said that if I be raised up, and he was talking about his crucifixion, and placed on that cross and dropped in that hole, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And I think he was referencing back to this verse and to this thought that with loving kindness he has drawn us. The great, uh, the, invita- the great invitation, if you will, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a burden. There is a yoke, but it's light by comparison. But what does he say to get that? He wants you to have rest. He wants you to be able to crawl up in his lap and be held and consoled by him. That's what he wants to do. But he says if you'll come and you'll take and you'll learn, You'll find that rest. And so, if you are not spending time in God's Word, if you're not attending a church that preaches truth, is evangelistic, and is alive, you're going to find it very difficult, very difficult to find rest in your life. Break sinful patterns. Part of, our, part of our reason of spending time together and get to know each other and the reason we're told to confess our faults one to another is so that we can disciple one another, so that we can apply that equipment, those tools that God has given us that we might be equipped by and that we can put them in into action. And one of the ways we do that is by is by encouraging one another, one, by the example that we live and that that we have overcome things. So you may have to share your testimony of what Christ has done in in your life and, and glory be to Christ if you can do that. And you should do that. Give Him the glory for what He has done in your life. But another reason to do it is not just that we want to be an example to other people because sin destroys It destroys marriages, it destroys families, it destroys lives, it ruins relationships. Jesus describes Satan as a thief. He comes but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what he wants. Jesus said, I came to give life and it more abundantly. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, says my God to the wicked. Galatians 5, 19-21 says, works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and if that didn't catch all of us, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to go to heaven. And I believe you want me to go to heaven. And there's only one way to do that. And it's to humble ourselves to the will of God. And to live in His grace. And to walk in His grace. That's the only way you're going to get there. You're not going to get there on your own deeds. You can't be good enough to justify the blood of Jesus Christ on your own merits. It was done with loving kindness for you. But the way of transgressors is hard. In James, it says that we're drawn away of our own lust, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. I don't want sin to bring forth death in your life, and we're talking eternal death here. We're talking about damnation. We're talking about hell when we talk about these things. I don't want that for you. I don't think you want that for me. Some homework. Psalm 77, read it. Look at verse 10. This is my infirmity. You know, we like to make excuses. We like to blame our problems on somebody else. That's just not the case. My sin is my fault. This is my infirmity. It's not anybody else's. Um, if you want to study on fasting that helps break sinful patterns, I would love to study it. There's more to it than this one verse, but this one verse tells us the ideal behind fasting is to Loose the bands of wickedness to undo heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you can break every yoke. What greater yoke is there than an addiction? An addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography or any other kind of envy. Envy can be an addiction. There's a lot of sin problems that lend itself for being an addictive kind of thing. Fasting is one of those things. Prayer goes with it as well. It's not just enough to stop doing certain things. You need to begin doing other things. Ephesians five and eighteen, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled by the or filled with the Spirit. It's not just enough to quit getting drunk. You now need to do something positive. You need to be filled with the Spirit. How do you get filled with the Spirit? You spend time in God's Word. You spend time among God's people that are going to hold you accountable and disciple you in the muck and the mire, in the day-to-day grind of life where the rubber meets the road. And when we love one another to the extent that we should, that's not a difficult task for us to do. We want to end up in a place of self-discipline. But frankly, none of us ever get totally self-disciplined in every aspect of our life. There is never a point in which we no longer need discipling. We're always going to be at some point in some level in some area of our life needing to be discipled. At the same time, we do need to become more and more self-disciplined and self-controlled. And we do that with putting on that armor of God. We do that by equipping ourselves in truth and presenting the gospel and uh, observing all things that he's commanded us. And, and being alive and participating and interacting with the environment that we, we are placed in. And we've got a, 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 an environment all around us in this community that we need to be interacting with. That we are interacting with. We're not doing everything right. We're not doing everything perfect. There's room for growth. Lots of room for growth. But we do want to get to self-discipline. You know, if you're training for a marathon or you're training for any kind of physical deal, you've got to pace yourself, you've got to eat right. You, there's a lot of things you've got to do. But what you're looking for is the, that the benefit of winning that race outweighs the pain of getting there, of the exercise and of the diet changes and all of those sorts of things. Well, in a spiritual sense, our light affliction... So those things that we encounter that are in the muck and the mire, those difficult things that we work with and overcome on a day-to-day basis, in the day-to-day grind of life, for our light affliction, it is an affliction, but it's light in comparison, which is, for the moment, works for us more and more exceedingly, an eternal weight of glory. And so there is coming a day when the the heavens are going to part and the trumpet is going to sound and Christ and his angels are gonna are gonna come and we're gonna meet Christ in the air and there's gonna be judgment and and we're gonna see the the weight of the glory that has been prepared for us in eternity. And so when we compare what we have to endure for a few years here, let us be encouraged by the great. If we're not and, and I think it's both, I don't think we can say it's wrong for us to. Think about the eternal reward as we live this life because it's given to us that way. Think, this verse right here tells us to think about it. And the other verses do as well. But we have before us the price that was paid for us. And we remembered that this morning and the, the death and suffering of Jesus Christ. So that should motivate us. But also what should motivate us is the glory that awaits us after just a few years of affliction here. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way. You ever been to that moment you go, okay, well, what do I need to do? How can I fix this? What are the steps that I need to take? We're talking about equipping the saints. We're talking about preparing us to endure the, the difficulties of this life on a day-to-day basis, to, to take the principle of the things that we've learned, the academic things that we've learned about the whole armor of God and the truth, and we take those principles, and we put them on, and we seal ourselves with those, and we get out, and go to work. How, do we, how are we going to do that? Well, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9, tells us that, answers this question by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. We could stop it there. <laughs> Maybe I should stop it there. Because that's the answer the answer to how we overcome our challenges, our weaknesses, our difficulties, how we restore relationships, how we restore our relationship with God through Christ, all of those things are done if we will take heed according to the Word. It all comes back down to the sufficiency of God's Word. It has everything that we, we need to know. I don't know it all. Brother Ty doesn't know it all. Brother Timothy doesn't know it all. You don't know it all. We don't, we we will give that. But that doesn't change my conviction and my belief that it contains it all. It does. The weakness, as I've said earlier, is on my part, it's on your part. Because we don't study enough, we don't meditate enough, we don't spend enough time with our God and our Father in heaven. By taking heed to thy word, with my whole heart I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander. From thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You know, there's people that I have studied with and they say, yeah, I see that that's the Word of God, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, I will delight myself in thy statutes. If I run across something that says you need to quit doing something or you need to start doing something, if I'm going to, to, to delight and I'm going to overcome those challenges in my life, then I'm not going to disrespect the statutes. I'm going to look forward to that. I'm going to go, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know I needed to do that. I'm so sorry that I was doing that. Help me, God. Help me, Father. Help me, brother and sister, to get this right in my life. That's the attitude we will take when we delight in God's statutes or in His laws and His teachings. So we talked about today the mission of the church, the sufficiency of God's word. God's word is, a, is an anchor that you can, that you, it's a standard and it's an anchor that you can count on. When everything else falls apart, when one area of your life fails or another area uh, is on life support, the word of God is something that you can count on. You can go to man and man can give you all kinds of ideas, but you can't set an anchor to it but you can tie off on the Word of God. You can count on it. It is sufficient. It will change your life. It will heal your spirit. And then we talked about discipleship in these different areas. And it's important that we equip ourselves with God's Word. We talked about it in the beginning of October. We've given practical Uh, applications of it on Sunday afternoons. We're going to get some practical applications this afternoon as well on, on the things that we shared in kind of framework fashion today. Impossible to cover it all. So, I hope that you are looking for a church that is seeking truth, that is evangelistic, that is alive, that is equipping the saints... By discipling them and helping everybody to grow and mature in the cause of Christ. That's the kind of congregation that I'm looking for. That's the one that I'm willing to work together with you to make this be that. Because we fall short in some of these areas. Well, in all of them, we fall short. And so together we can work and we can be dedicated and we can make sure that this church has a pulse, it has a heartbeat and that it is receiving information from the head, and that we are accomplishing the things that God's Word says we will accomplish if we will just do our part. And so the call to you today is to do your part. It's to embrace your role. It's to fully be engaged, fully be committed, and and make seeking the kingdom of Christ first. And the way you do that is in every aspect of your life, the church, the kingdom, Your spiritual relationship to God is number one. And if you'll do that, everything else will fall into place.